thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David. Well, welcome to this week's episode of God, Law, and Liberty. And today, we come to the end of this multi-part series on the why and how of Christian political engagement. It's been a long series, and I hope you have been as blessed by listening to it as I have been in offering it. And Today, we come to the nub of the how of Christian political engagement. Last week, we ended with these words, and it's with these words I want to pick up today. But see, when we lose this understanding of the representation of Adam as God's delegated authority on the earth through whose descendants he was to do what, what God planned in Genesis 1.28, and we lose the understanding that Christ is that second Adam who actually completed the first Adam's task and is bringing about a new creation and new descendants of this new Adam. We don't know what our purpose is other than to bide our time by being good till we can go off to heaven. That's why Protestantism wanders around aimlessly hither and thither. You see, what we need to appreciate, what I didn't really appreciate virtually all of my life, was that I am already living in a new kingdom, in part of the new creation that will be made on that final day. I'm already living in it, and I need to act as if I'm living in it. So the question is really, how would I live under King Jesus joined to King Jesus by the Holy Spirit, living in His kingdom, how would I live if I'm a politician? What laws would I vote for? How would I argue for those laws? What laws would I uh, be against? How would I argue against those laws? Unfortunately, what tends to happen is that we, we look at what we think is good and then we work it out according to the ways of that old kingdom. And ultimately, my friends, what I've come to see, and boy, this settled on me just the other week. Well, it's been settling on me. That nothing makes sense, nothing coheres, nothing works, nothing winds up not contradicting itself if it is not on our part intended and designed and worked out and purposed for the glory of God. And it comes right back to where we began with Dr. Grant saying, God is God and you are not. That means that all things come from God and God gives all things their meaning. God alone possesses glory. And all that was created was intended to reveal and manifest and reflect and be used for His glory. The fall did not change that as if we need to escape and go somewhere else where God can then do His work. No, no, He said, I will come here and I will begin to restore 
all things. That's what it says in Acts. This is the restoration of all things. We are in the process of the restoration of all things even now and should understand ourselves as being involved in the restoration of all things. I am advancing in my life the kingdom principles that apply to whatever I'm doing and all of those kingdom principles have as their end and their purpose the glory of God. And so the other day I was thinking when Paul says in Romans that sin is to fall short of the glory of God, in my prayer time God reversed it to say, David, think about this. Anything, therefore, that you do not directed to the glory of God falls short of the glory of God and is sin. That's why Paul says whether we are eating or drinking, whatever we do, do all for the glory of God. And I realized, oh, Lord, not everything I do, do I consciously sit here and say, how would I best do this and what would I do if the glory of God were my objective in this moment, in this broadcast, uh, in the way I speak, in the way I talk, in the way I interact with my wife, in the way I interact with legislators and opponents uh, in the political sphere, if I analyzed every legislation for the glory of God and thought consciously how would I proceed to to pursue this for the glory of God the fact that I don't do that I believe is in part why David said in the Psalms my iniquities are over my head when we really understand who God is and what our purpose was to exist for the glory of God to reveal the glory of God and and by our, our being we in a sense share the glory of God we're made in his image oh my My iniquities are over my head. And then what great news is the gospel to say, David, you won't ever get all of your iniquities from being over your head, but I will give you a righteousness and I will transfer you to my kingdom and I will clothe you with the righteous robes of Jesus Christ. So now I am to act as the ambassador of the king of this new kingdom in which I am presently living and let the world react to that kingdom however they might. And Jesus said, you know, they're liable to hate you. They hated me. But we often have this dualistic sense that we've talked about that we have to escape the creation. Uh, This friend of mine, Eric Holmberg, wrote this great little article called Heaven's Not the End. And obviously at our death and until the final resurrection and and our bodies are transformed and glorified and resurrected and put back together in the glorified kind of body that Christ now has will be in, in this spiritual realm of heaven. But he says this, earth will not be destroyed by the final universal flood, the fiery conflagration that will occur at the end of days, rather than the waters God used in Noah's time, rather the earth will be purged. And all sin and everything that falls short of the glory of God will be finally and permanently removed. A new heavens and earth will emerge transformed, transfigured, glorified, eternal, as different from this present cosmos as Jesus' resurrected body was from the one that died on the cross, and yet just as similar, just as recognizable, just as real. 
So we are to be living like we are already living there, and eschatologically, Christ has already gone to that, has become that that last man that we never need another man who can do what Adam was supposed to do. And now, joined to Christ, we are to do what Christ was here to do, to live for his glory. Now, how does this work itself out in politics? Well, here is a statement that I read to some of my colleagues two years ago uh, from when we had our national organizational meeting of all the state family policy councils. And I said this to them, and I hope it is uh, meaningful to you. I have come to see sin more broadly as anything that falls short of the glory of God. And that we can see that the glory of God, as the Apostle Paul says, only in the face of Christ. Therefore, I've come to believe that even the pursuit of good public policies, if pursued for the sake of the policy itself, and not for the glory of God, and disconnected from Christ and who he is, is to fall short of the glory of God. And it's written in Galatians 5.4, to fall from grace. I then said, here's what that means relative to how it's changed my focus here in Tennessee. I realized that I have labored in the sphere of law all my adult life, but I did not appreciate the bigger picture of what had happened in the secularization of the law. As a nation, we've turned from law as that which is first rooted in the Creator God and His law for His creation to a humanistic, man-centered, positivistic basis for law. In other words, we make up the law. We are a law unto ourselves. With our mouths, we will prevail. With our lips, we will prevail, as said, I believe it's in Psalm 12. Nothing needs to be spoken to us. We speak things into existence. So I continued on. By limiting my arguments and reasonings for laws and policies to those allowed by an acceptable, within the godless, humanistic, man-centered framework, I have unwittingly labored in the temple's of the false God, where the truth of God has been exchanged for something created, man's law, and I've operated according to its theology without giving one thought to pursuing a reformation of the very foundations of law itself through what I do. And from that idolatrous thinking, I am repenting. Now the focus of our work is to play whatever part God would have for us in the reformation of the foundations of law and policy. And one way in which we're going to go about doing this is in connection with the Rule of Law Life Act and the Marital Contracted Common Law Recording Act. I believe the common law, of which Christianity is clearly a part and which rests on a Creator God who's imposed His law own his universe is a tool that God can use to bring about a reformation of law and even culture if we will just use it. And Lord willing, we will be using it at every opportunity to limit flights of fancy by judges and legislators about the rights and liberties that were protected by our Constitution and who contend for true religious liberty. 
That's what I said July the 25th of 2019. Little did I know then that uh, this year the United States Supreme Court would decide for the first time since 1992 to really consider or reconsider Planned Parenthood versus Casey and whether the constitutional standard by which state laws on abortion would be judged is the viability of the fetus outside the womb. And so, my friends, in keeping with what I have said, we have filed a brief that argues that the right to life precedes the Constitution and was not intended to be denied or disparaged or diminished in any way by the enumeration of any right because it is the fundamental right upon which all other rights are predicated and for the preservation of which civil government and constitutions are established. That's what I mean by how we go about living as descendants of the second Adam and the last man in his kingdom despite the fact that we live in a different kingdom that says, no, these are the rules you need to follow. These are the rules we've provided. And in fact, in this case, we're saying, well, those rules are not good and we're going to find a way around those rules. We're going to argue against those rules because I can't live by those rules in my kingdom. I have to live by the rules of the king of the kingdom in which I've been transferred, as it says in Colossians chapter 1. Thank you for joining me for this series. And next week, I look forward to talking about the abortion issue and the briefs that we have filed and some of the briefs that others have filed. And we'll see how the things I've talked about today are actually being worked out before the United States Supreme Court. Thank you for joining me, and I'll look forward to being with you next week. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.facttennessee.org. That's F-A-C-Tennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fact Tennessee.